And my name is David Blouse, and uh, I'm going to be speaking this morning on parenting, on wisdom in Proverbs, really, won't you? Let's pray as we turn our minds, our hearts, our attention to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we stop and reflect upon uh, parenting, both, both physical and spiritual, we ask that you would teach us uh, to, to want maturity in ourselves and to want maturity for others such that that would be what we pursue. We ask that you would give us wisdom uh, to see in each one of our circumstances what we need to do and to be able to do it in a way that honours you and is good for those that we are seeking to help grow. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, apparently Proverbs, we have to start with riddles. So I've got a riddle for you this morning. And don't shout it out if you know it. I mean, I personally thought this was a well-known one. No one at 8 o'clock knew it. So here we go. What creature walks on four legs in the morning? That's all right if you know it. Two legs at midday and three legs in the evening. What creature walks on four legs in the morning, two legs at midday, three legs in the evening? Anyone know? Libby, the, 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 the whites know, the Goddards know. See, I, th- I thought this one, everyone knew. What's the answer? Pratchett, oh, oh, maybe it's Terry Pratchett. Maybe that's why I thought it was so obvious. What is the answer? A man, a person. A person, right? In the morning of their lives, as they're a baby, they crawl, four legs. As we hit midday and we're young and strong and strapping, we run around on two. And then as we get a bit older and frail, all right, someone at eight o'clock just waved their stick at me and I said, that's it. Thank you very much for illustrating. As we're we're talking about parenting, really the the picture in mind is is of ageing, of growing older. In fact, of maturing. I talk about parenting in a slightly broader context than just what do you do with your little kids when they're misbehaving. See, as a church, we have a particular vision, a particular goal of what it is that we want to be doing. And there's one Bible verse that captures that goal. You all know it, right? I won't ask you because clearly you all know what the verse is. We talk about it often enough. It's Colossians 1.28, which says this, this. If you want to know what we as a church are on about, this is what we are on about in one verse. We proclaim Jesus admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to grow people up. Now, we're trying to grow them up in a particular way. We're trying to grow them up into Christ as we preach Christ. So it's not so much parenting as just one grown up with their child, but parenting across the church family as we together, speaking of Jesus to one another, seek to grow each other up into maturity in Christ. So I hope that today there'll be something for all of us. It's not just for those of us who are in that hectic stage of the little kids, but for each one of us to think about our own lives, how we're going to grow and mature, and how we can learn to seek the maturity in the lives of others. See, what we are pursuing is the picture of, in Proverbs of what the wise person looks like. Do you know what the wise person in Proverbs looks like? I mean, it's good to be mature in Proverbs. It's good to be old, Proverbs says. It's good to have grey hair and to be someone with... <laughs> Thank you, man. That's it. Preach it. With wrinkles and really the sort of person that we want to be is this. This is what we're aiming for. 
I'm, I'm on the way. You, you can tell where, where my styling comes from. I mean, ladies, right? Let's, let's have something for you as well. Well, actually, if, if we're, if we're going to be honest here, we're probably a little bit more like this. But... I'll let you pick which one you want to be. <laughs> Our aim is to make disciples who make disciples of the Lord Jesus. Our goal is to be mature men and women, those who have grown up into Christ. And it's a name that Proverbs shares. Proverbs sees this, this path, this trajectory in life that begins at some point, but aims towards something in the future, aims towards wisdom later. Proverbs 19.20, uh, James read from a slightly different translation, picks up the same idea. Listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. It's a very strange verse. I think about wisdom and counsel and instruction and I think I want to receive counsel and instruction so that I can be wise now. I want you to tell me now what it is that I need to do. Whereas Proverbs constantly has this picture looking forward. Wisdom is something you will grow into. Listen now. So that at some point those words will sink in and in the future you will finally recognize it as wisdom. How we listen, how we receive instruction now determines what we will be like later in life. Or Proverbs 22.6, train a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not turn from it. Why do we train children? I mean, I was just thinking about human, physical children for a moment rather than spiritual children. Why do we train them? And there's all sorts of reasons, right? We want, sometimes, like, just train them because I like living in peace and quiet, right? Just shut up and just sit in the corner. No, that's actually not why we ought to train them. We don't train children because we want to look good. I'm having people over and when they walk in the front door, they're going to see my three children sitting perfectly in a row with their hair slicked down in their laps as they just are quiet and the adults chitter chatter, right? That's, that's not why we train our children. We don't train them because we want to live vicariously. Gee, I wish that I'd learned to play the piano. So you sit down, play 15 minutes every day. You're going to learn. You're going to learn. I really wish that I'd learned how to speak French. Spanish, ah, who wants French? Puh. But French, French. No, we don't do it because we want to live vicariously. We train the children because it is good for them, for the future, for the person that we want them to be, for the maturity that we want them to have. We train them now for what they will be later. Now, let's just be clear for a moment. That doesn't mean that if you train a child, you are guaranteed as to how they will turn out that they will most definitely be wise. That as long as you put the right inputs in, you know what's going to come out the other end. The whole book of Proverbs is a call to the next generation to choose wisdom, to accept and embrace and live the wisdom that was taught to them. Now, of course, if you don't train them, then it's going to be nigh impossible for them to live that way. Really what we're trying to do, what we're talking about here is you want to put words into their minds that will keep echoing throughout the rest of their lives such that when times come, when they have a decision to make, they will hear you speak even if you're not there talking to them anymore. You have instructed them and trained them such that they have a decision to make. Will I live the way I was taught or will I not? 
Now, of course, just in case you're sitting there thinking that today's sermon is going to be kids bad, old people good, uh, youth has its benefits as well. Right? Proverbs 20, 29, the glory of young men is their strength. Grey hair, the splendor of the old. Grey-haired people, is that how you see yourself? You look in the mirror and you go, yes. But it's true. Young people, they have strength. They have the vigor of youth. Old people, the wise, the grey hairs show their wisdom, their maturity, their experience. What we realized during the week is that what it means is that if you're in between that period when you are young and you have grey hairs, you're basically nothing. So those of us who are kind of 30s, as soon as you see the wise, the grey hair, you're like, yes, it was splendorous. Until then, we're just nothing. And yet, how much instead are we just ashamed of age? I mean, our culture glorifies youth. Right? What we praise is the, 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 the I mean, the, de- the <laughs> I'm not going to ask who dyes their hair, right? Because it's just, you don't want, the, you, you pull the greys out. You, I'm doing these ones because I'm likely to get greys in my beard first before up here, right? So you pull your greys out, you dye them, you get rid of them. You, you want to make sure your creams, you get rid of the wrinkles and we get toned and tanned. And we want to pursue and hold on to youth. Whereas really what we're after is maturity. So embrace it. Our aim is to make disciples with the goal of producing mature men and women in Christ. How are we going to do it? Well, in Proverbs, there are two words that keep coming up over and over and over again. Two words that go together. Discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. Now, you you have to have them together. Either without the other is problematic. But... We're going to just consider them separately for a moment, just by way of breaking up what we're talking about today. Let's talk about discipline first. What do you think of when I say discipline? What what picture comes into your mind? Yeah, this is the picture that comes into my mind. Now, before you're concerned about what discipline looks like in my house, right, that's... (laughs) Vampires, kill them! No, right, it's just a tomato steak, okay? I purposefully chose one that looked a bit... Anyway, it's a tomato. this is discipline. I'm, I, I'm a hesitant gardener. I, I much prefer power tools than, than sort of little pot plants, right? But, but, but I branched out and I planted a tomato plant last summer. Uh, it was an experience. Uh, and what I learned very early on is that tomato plants aren't the kind of plant that I like. I like neat and tidy plants that will go where they're told to go and grow in the way I want them to grow. Tomato plants do this, poof, and they just go everywhere. So what do you do? You discipline them. You get stakes, you whack them in the ground, and you tie them to the stakes so that they will grow straight and up and right that they may produce and bear fruit. Discipline is that process. It's the stake that you tie someone to, (laughs) metaphorically, please, uh, to to help them grow, to grow up, to grow straight, to grow the right way, not just to... You even have to prune tomato plants and chop off bits that are no good, that they might grow in such a way that bears fruit. This is the view of discipline in Proverbs, right? 6.23, a command is a lamp, teaching is a light, and corrective discipline is the way of life. Discipline is necessary to produce the right fruit. 
Or 13.1, a wise son responds to his father's discipline. But a mocker will not listen to rebuke. Discipline is good. In fact, it's the way of wisdom to see discipline as good. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. It is foolish to say, I don't like discipline, take it away from me. And of course, children are still learning. And so, so many of them will say it would be so much better with no discipline, no punishment, no consequences. Fantastic. No, Proverbs 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But one who hates correction is stupid. There you go. Proverbs doesn't mince words. You hate correction, then Proverbs says you're stupid. To love discipline is a good thing. Now, of course, we say, well, I don't like discipline. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. I don't like the sensation. Whatever kind of discipline we're talking about, almost by its very nature, discipline is painful. The tomato plant doesn't want to grow that way. I force it to grow that way. And yet it is necessary. This is how the writer to the Hebrews put it. I love this verse. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. This is talking about God's discipline of us, by the way. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace by those trained by it. Discipline is pain now for the sake of future fruit, for the sake of growing right. And producing that which is necessary. Now, look, let's, let's just talk from, I don't know if this is the elephant in the room or not, but let's talk about corporal punishment. Are we talking, when we're talking about discipline, are we talking about smacking kids? Is that, is that what the Bible means when it says discipline? Is, it, is the Bible okay with smacks? Look, there's a couple of Proverbs that I think you read them and you kind of go, well, it certainly sounds like it. Here's Proverbs 22:15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Or Proverbs 29, the rod of correction imparts wisdom. But a child left to himself himself disgraces his mother. Now, there are two easy mistakes to make when it comes to discipline. Too much and too little. See, too much, too much inevitably results in anger and bitterness results in someone being turned away rather than driven on the right path. I, I don't know if may, maybe your history was like this or you might know somebody. I've met people whose, whose fathers in particular were very angry men and who disciplined very... I'm going to beat it out of them, was essentially their attitude. The smallest mistake, the smallest thing that required any for just boom. And all that it produced... Rather than a nice, tall, upright plant producing much fruit, it just destroyed them. That was it. Anger and bitterness was all that they held inside of them. But the contrary, the the flip side is also true. You can have too little discipline. You right, Joe? We good? Okay. You can have too little discipline and just let it grow wild. Let the tomato plant grow and do whatever it wants and be whatever it wants to be. And then you're like, well, where's my fruit? My tomato plant is gone and there's nothing there to produce at all. The Bible is not against smacking. But it is very dangerous. 
And I can think of at least two reasons why. And the first one, and the biggest one, is me. And not me personally, I'm not the problem for you smacking your children, but as in you, as in our sinfulness, that's the problem. I am a sinner. And smacking is the easiest and quickest form of discipline. Which means that inevitably it will usually happen in my anger rather than stopped and considered. So is it wrong? Not necessarily. But it is dangerous because it is so easy to lash out. So easy to not do discipline, trying to grow them properly and just do punishment or some other form of me expressing my mistake. The second problem is this. It's so hard to communicate rightly with a smack. What are you trying to teach your kid? Don't hit your sister. And the kid's looking at you going, "Ah!" Now, is there a time and a place? Yeah. In fact, you heard the saying, spare the rod and... Where does that come from? Spare the rod. Sorry, did someone say the Bible? A mother. (laughs) Spare the rod. Anyone know where it comes from? Proverbs? Someone say Proverbs over here. Oh, no one fell into the trap. At 8 o'clock, they were like, the Bible! I was like, no! It comes from some weird poem about adultery. There you go. Now, the closest Bible verse is this, and I think this is worse. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. He who spares the rod hates his son. I've seen parents who are like, oh, I couldn't possibly discipline my child. I'm not talking about smacking necessarily. No, if I take that away, they cry. I, I love them too much to ever cause them any sort of pain. No, you don't. All discipline is painful. Whether you're smacking them or not, just putting them in time out. Oliver hates being put in time out. It causes him genuine emotional distress. And it's good for him. To not discipline your child is to hate them. And in fact, to not discipline your child means that they will become a person that you will hate. You won't like the kind of person they'll turn out to be. Why do we discipline? Now look, maybe the rod in Proverbs is a metaphor rather than physical and literal. That's possible, right? You spare the rod, you spare discipline and you're going to end up with... uh, I have no problems with it being both. We, we We discipline because we want something. We want maturity in them. Which also means, by the way, that discipline will change probably as they get older. Physical discipline is more required when they are very small little people, really little people, seem to be absolutely determined to kill themselves. I don't know if you've seen this. My Oliver is a shaved suicidal monkey. I mean, that's, it's just like he wakes up in the morning and it's like, okay, what tall thing can I climb up and possibly fall off? What can I poke into other things? How can I run in front of fast moving things? What can I... Is the bathtub full yet? Can I go and jump? Oh, there's the pool. I can't get to it again. Right? It's just, it just seems that he's just... And so I will discipline him. I will say, stop doing that. It is dangerous to you. And he will say, oh, I'm going to keep going it. So I physically restrain him. He needs it. I interpose myself between him and death. Seemingly daily. 
But then they get a bit older and you kind of move out of that and you're into sort of training and instruction and, and, and they start to understand the concept of consequences and, and all of a sudden they have privileges that can be removed from them and the, the physical seems to be much less necessary. There's still a time for it. But now we're communicating such that eventually, as I've taught her, my children about, say her, because I've got two daughters, they're the ones that are at this stage, as I teach them about life and the ways of the Lord, eventually discipline will mean letting go and allowing them the space, encouraging them to remember what I have taught and hoping that maturity comes about. The aim is to see mature men and women in Christ. We're going to do it firstly through discipline, secondly through instruction. Discipline and in teaching go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. If you have just discipline and you never teach your kids, they're, going to, they're not going to know what you're trying to teach them to be. Oh, Dad just smacked me again. I don't know why. I got sent to time out again. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't work. But if you have instruction with no discipline, your kids will think, well, it doesn't really matter. Now, Dad keeps banging on how about I should be kind, but why should I? When I'm not kind, I get ahead more. You've got to have them both. Listen to Proverbs on instruction. Proverbs chapter, uh, where are we there? 13, 24. Let's go past that one. Proverbs 4, 13. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Hold on to it. Suck it in. And by the way, this goes for us as well, right? I mean, this is just a proverb for kids. Guard it, for it is your life. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. I mean, what a beautiful picture. To heed the words of those who've spoken into your life that they might adorn you. Now, you notice, by the way, that there's an implication for these verses. There's, there's a prerequisite. You spot what it is? That the teaching from your father and your mother is good. <laughs> that it is beneficial to you, that it's worth it, that it will be of blessing to you. So just as a parent, if you're thinking about here, what am I teaching my children? Proverbs 8.10, accept wisdom speaking, accept my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than pure gold. It's worth more than money to be taught to grow. It's positive, it's not just negative. For some reason, I often think of discipline as negative. It's not, it's a positive thing. But we kind of go, well, there's punishment, and that's how we raise our children. It doesn't work alone. You have to have the instruction that goes with it. I'd love my children to be polite. Do you know what? Turns out I have to teach them how to be polite. I'd love my children to be self-controlled. Turns out I have to teach them how to be self-controlled. I'd love them to be hard-working. I don't know why it is. When it's something that they want to do, they are the most hard-working, industrious people you've ever seen in the world. And then all of a sudden, when there's something else, oh, I'm tired, right? Just... I want them to be faithful to the Lord. It turns out that's something I have to teach them. I really love this picture in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I haven't got it on the screen. I'll read it for you. Listen to how God set it up for Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today, they are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and of your gates. Always seeking for opportunities to instruct, and particularly in the Lord. So I, I, I hope that you don't think of Sunday as the time when your children are instructed in the Lord. Your grandchildren, who are you, people in your care. I hope that you don't think Sunday is that time. Now, it may well happen. Our Sunday school letters, our kids' church letters, they're amazing. They will do that. But that is nothing compared to what you can do day after day after day, just in the circumstance of life. Eleanor got a fringe cut the other day, given to her by her older sister and her younger brother. Yes. Um, As I understand, this is a rite of passage. It needed to happen sooner or later. Uh, So, look, it turned out okay. A couple of days later, she says... Will God love me less because I have a fringe? Now, what can you say at that point? You say, well, no, you're, you're beautiful, just the way you are. And it's true, she is. That's a good thing to say. But what an opportunity. Will God love you more? Will God love you less? God gave his son for you, Eleanor. She died for your sins so you can be his child. Your hair's not going to make a difference. Now, little moment, take it, instruct, teach. I know know your family, with my kids, the weirdest, deepest conversation always seemed to happen in the car. I I think it's because we're all just strapped down and no one's focused on anything else. So the kids are just like, "Mm, Dad, when you die, who will I live with? And he's like, oh. Do women get periods on the weekend too? Dwina's not here. If God's in heaven, why does he never come to visit? Taking the opportunities to instruct. Because note that it comes with a warning. It comes with a warning. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Again, true for all of us. To stop listening to those who would teach, who would guide us, who would counsel us, who will help us develop and mature brings with it great danger that we are simply going to stray away. Mature men and women, how are we going to see it? Discipline and instruction. But I want to talk briefly as we close with about parenting in the church family. Parenting not just within your family and the people you know, but with each other. Now I've got two things that I want to say. The first one is the importance of counsel of other people sharing with you wisdom and knowledge. I mean, we've seen it a couple of times in Proverbs already, Proverbs 11, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. It often feels like battle, family life. It often feels like you're in the middle of the war and the good side may not win today, right? That's just what it feels like. Lack of guidance, advisors can help. Or Proverbs 12, the way of the fool seems right to him. But a wise man listens to advice. I want to say two things about advice, particularly when it's to do with parenting, particularly, because everyone has an opinion. Here's the first thing you've got to keep in mind. Uh, Counsel to do with parenting is better asked for than dished out. All right, you're watching and you see someone over there and you're like, I'm very purposely not going to look at anyone right now. And you're like, oh, you know what they're doing with their kids? I'd I'd do that differently. Just wait until you get asked. (laughs) 
rather than wandering on over. No, I see that you... you know, well, how about, why don't you... You should really... Advice, particularly about parents, is better asked for than dished out. But secondly, it's better asked for than to suffer in silence. If you're doing it tough as a parent, please don't think other people are going to consider you a failure. If you go and you say, man, I just don't know what to do. You got any wisdom? You got any get your help? <laughs> do it. Ask. Seek for help. It's better asked for than dished out. And it's better asked for than to suffer in silence. Secondly, this. I want to talk about spiritual parenting. So I want to talk about this family for a moment. Uh, you, I don't know if you can see that particularly well. Uh, no, that's not a photo of Christmas and our extended family. That's our church. That's us. Right from our house party last year, which means we've got another one coming next year, by the way. A little plug. Anyway, it's coming up. What do we call it, church family? Because we are family. <laughs> that's why. It's not just a word that we use. We just throw it around because it sounds better than community or whatever. Gathering, club. No, we are family in Christ. And so in, among us, there will be the spiritually mature, the parents. And there will be the spiritually immature, the children who need instruction. And dare I say it, sometimes even discipline. How are we going to go about parenting, about being family to one another in this family? I don't know if you picked it up as Titus 2 was read for us. You flip back over to Titus 2. I'm not going to say a lot about it. We're mostly just going to read through it again. So it's worth having it handy. Spend some time reflecting on this afterwards as well. Come over to Titus 2. It's right towards the end of your Bible. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. And just wind it back a couple. I mean, listen to this picture of family life that Paul writes to Titus. Titus, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. What is he supposed to teach? Well, verse 2, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Older men. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they, the older women, can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their own husbands, that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. What a beautiful picture of church life as a family we've got the olders and the youngers and the wise and the not so wise and the teaching and the instruction and the training going on it's a beautiful picture and so i want to ask you a couple of questions first is this who is parenting you i hope that you have at least one person who knows that they have permission to instruct you and even if necessary to discipline you Remember, the fool is the one who will not listen to correction. I hope that you have at least one of those people in church. And conversely, who have you adopted? Who are your kids? 
Who are those that you are seeking their spiritual good, their welfare, their maturity, their growth? Now, I hope that this happens within your Bible study group, although thinking about it, our Bible study groups may not be the best space for it because often they are the same age group and quite often the same spiritual maturity as well. So how exactly we do it, I still don't know. I want you to put your mind to it. The aim, the goal, the end is this. Come down to verse 11 in Titus 2. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And we start where we began. The goal is this maturity. The Lord Jesus has purchased us. He's redeemed us by his blood. He's purified us of all wickedness such that he might have a people who are eager, eager to do what is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you as our Father teaches us that you instruct us and that you even discipline us when it's necessary. Father, we ask that each one of us would grow into wisdom and maturity. And Father, that we would be seeking the good of one another, for parents as they do that with their children, for each one of us as we do it spiritually with one another. We ask, Father, that we would be prepared to receive discipline, able to hear rebuke and correction that we would have ears that listen to instruction and pursue wisdom wherever it's found. And Father, we ask this, that we might be the people that Jesus has purchased us to be, redeemed, purified, eager to do good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.